Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this podcast, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we talk to the man who just spent the most money ever to buy a sports franchise. This summer, Tillman Fertitta bought the NBA's Houston Rockets for $2.2 billion. I'm a guy that focuses everything on EBITDA, and, and everything I've ever bought, I, I make the numbers work EBITDA-wise. We'll have more with our interview with Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi williams And let's start with the U.S. soccer men's team out. Not being able to play for the World Cup, that will impact ad dollars. I think let's let's let Eben go first. I mean, even though I played soccer all over the world in my youth, Eben does play down at Pier 40 in, in an old man's league. So, you know, maybe he's our soccer guy. Maybe they should have signed me. Maybe I could have done this <laughs> well, The way Tim Howard looked in goal, maybe they could have used Eben Novi Williams. But uh, Fox ain't too happy, right, Eben? Yeah, this is a, a disaster for Fox. I mean, if you look at ratings of the last World Cup uh, in Rio for ESPN, the U.S. games were the by far the most watched games outside of the final um, in America. And that's because Americans, it's not a soccer country. They care about the local team when they're playing well, when they're in the big tournament. But when you lose that peg, then you're left with pitching this to stars like Messi and Ronaldo. And while that way may work for the diehard soccer fans, that's not going to get the casual fan in America interested in this tournament. And there are some other companies involved, but I would say if you go down the peg, the other big loser in all this is Major League Soccer. They have lots of players on the national team. It's nice if one of two of them can become a star during the World Cup where people would know the name, know the face, like to follow. But this is going to be a long time, Michael, where casual soccer fans will go without seeing U.S. soccer. That's a tough break from for MLS. Well, that's the thing about the World Cup. That brought in the casual soccer viewer, and now no U.S. teams. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a dearth of soccer action right now. And, of course, there's Nike as well. They'll lose out, and the players themselves lose out on some money. But uh, the big disaster of Fox and MLS. And to put this in perspective for Fox, they have the next World Cup in, in Qatar that was moved from the summer to the winter, which makes it a much worse TV property. So they're going to take a hit on this one because the U.S. is out. They're going to take a hit on the next one because of the, the, the time change. And then the third one, as a make good for the Qatar change, they've got the 2026 World Cup, likely going to be in America. It's like it's bigger. It's going to have 33% more teams. That's going to be a huge windfall for Fox. They got it at a discount. That's going to be their opportunity to make up for what they're losing on these two teams. You and I used to sit at the desk and argue over whether they were expanding the field to accommodate China and that market. Now we have to say, oh, goody, maybe the Americans can make it so we get China and the United States. Then we have something to celebrate on the business side. Sure. And there's another angle here about the women's soccer team. The women's national team, obviously, past couple of years has made a push to get paid more, trying to get paid what the men are paid. The argument against it has always been that the men's team makes more money. That may change now that the women's team is going to be in these World Cups and the men are not. Let's move on to the next story, a big story that has been in the news. And we're talking about NFL players kneeling for the national anthem. President Donald Trump says about time that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell demands that all players stand for our great anthem, respect our country. And now Goodell has told club executives in a memo that the anthem issue is dividing the league from its fans. And now they will meet next week about this issue. With the union and 
let let's say that there's conflating issues here. Let's let's say people are misunderstanding. It's not what they're pro. Whatever that may be, the owners are looking at one thing. What is the impact on our television ratings and our business partners and our value? That's what this is about. The NFL brand. You've heard it a million times, Michael Edmund. Protect the shield. Right now, the shield is dented. The people are not watching as many games. And you can talk hurricanes. You can talk weather. At some point, you have to look at the protest, at the mood of the country, and wonder what sort of effect this is having, which is what Jerry Jones wants his team to do. This is an admission by Roger Goodell and the NFL that this is affecting business. Um, And we've seen with a lot of companies way beyond sports in the last couple months, when you get into these fights with the president over politics, staying in the news is not necessarily the best way to do that. Uh, And I think it's clear that the union, especially Roger Goodell and, and the owners, they want to figure out a way to solve this quietly so that it goes away as opposed to stays a national topic. You wonder what kind of cooperation, though, they'll get from the players, because we all know the average career length is two, two and a half years. The guys who have contracts now, they're going to get paid. You're going to get paid next year. You're going to get paid. This is about the long-term health of the NFL, and that's about franchise valuation. That's a material impact for the owners. I wonder if the players will say, we don't care. We're going to get ours now. You've rammed plenty of things down our throats. Here's our chance for payback. In another big story, Ultimate Fighting Championship. They have struck a multi-year deal with Modelo. Modelo replaces Anheuser-Busch, one of the biggest sponsors out there in all of sports. Anytime you see AB shifting their money, it's a good idea to see why are they going there. Is this a trend? Will others follow? Because they are one of the big-time spenders. Sure, and this is we've seen in the past couple months, UFC is signing a large number of, of corporate partnership deals, and that is a direct result of the the William Morris IMG acquisition. You know, William Morris came in. They have a lot of contacts across the sports world, across the sponsorship world, and UFC is now leveraging that to sign deals like Modelo, to sign companies like 7-Eleven, like Body Armor. And that's a young demo. Let's see now. Is drinking Budweiser going to be cool? I mean, are we done with some of the other stuff? Is Bud going to be the choice of millennials? I don't know, but this is an audience they're reaching. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And now for our interview, he's Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. He is also the owner of the Landry's restaurant chain and Golden Nugget Casino and Hotels. This summer, Fertitta shelled out an NBA record $2.2 billion to purchase the Rockets. What is the first thing you do when you are approved as owner of a sports franchise? Do you go and review processes? Like, what do you do first? <laughs> when you're approved, you've already been working up to it. It's when you sign the contract, you start getting involved in the team. Are you making the 100% decision? No, but but you've already you've been around the office and they've come to see you, management, and and uh, you've already. They, they kind of know your style already. But, you know, the Houston Rockets is different because I've been around the team for 35 years. I was a minority partner between 83 and 93 with Charlie Thomas. And then I've been sitting next to Les on the front row for 24 years, and I was an advisory director to him. So, you know, it was, what do you do? <laughs> you know, you you just are happy that you finally got it done. That's what you're worried about. Everybody has heard has heard about buyer's remorse. Is there almost buyer's remorse on your end? I mean, you had a chance to get this thing when Les bought the team. You were outbid by four million dollars. 
looking at the price now, do you kick yourself for not boosting your bid back then? You know, not at all. Um, you know, what's amazing is if I would have ended up with the team 25 years ago, uh, that would have probably been all that I did, and I probably wouldn't have built the empire that I did outside of, of, of the Houston Rockets. And, and sure, would I, would I have a team that's worth $2 billion today? Yes, but, but uh, I wouldn't have a 600-unit a restaurant empire, and I wouldn't own all the Golden Nugget casinos and numerous other hotels and amusement parks and aquariums. So uh, I think it kind of fell into place, and, and I'm, I'm really happy about it. You know, my kids are old enough now to enjoy it and, and be a part of it. So, you know, things all work out. Let me ask a question, though, and this because you used to own a, a piece of the, the Texans, uh, and uh, and the reason why you had to sell it, if I understand it correctly, is because of NFL rules. Uh, thank goodness the NBA rules are totally different. Can you explain that process, why the NBA is okay, which I don't see anything wrong with it, about owning the, the Golden Nugget Casinos, and opposed to the uh, NFL? You know, I think that, that, that when it comes to sports betting, you know, there's so many more people that bet on NFL football than do on basketball or baseball. And and I think, uh, you know, it appears that the, the NBA has just been a little more, you know, progressive thinking and in and, and that retrospect. I think the NFL has come a long way. I don't know today. I mean, they, they haven't ruled on it. But I don't know today if, if a, a casino owner – wanted to own an NFL team, I don't know that they would have an issue with that. It's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's different today. I think the NBA realized that to own a casino today, the, the, the regulation and the background checks and everything that goes on is, is that it's more regulated than any other industry out there who owns a casino. And, and uh, I think they realized that I'm uh, – the people that own casinos are pretty quality people. And I think the NFL, like I said, has come a long way, and that's probably where they are now, too. You said something during the press conference when you were being introduced as the new owner of the Rockets, and you mentioned the San Diego Rockets, and I started thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. They were they were out there. It was, what, 74 around in that era when, when they moved to Houston? And take us through that because you are really – it really was important that you had a hometown team uh, that you owned as an NBA franchise. Uh, can you take us through that process and what that meant to you? You know, what's really amazing is that I know other owners in the different sports, and, and uh, they all love their teams, but they only go to sporadic games, and they have to get on a plane, and they have to fly to that particular city, and and you have to build loyalty and, and – uh, to that team you know it happens pretty quick when you own it but it's just different and I think that if you talk to anybody that owns a team outside of their hometown where they grew up and the team they pulled for they're, they're just going to tell you it's different this is one question I always have for folks who fork over big money and surely you could afford the best season tickets and have the best access in the world why do you want the headache of ownership you know, you can say that about anything. I mean, why do I have five casinos and 600 restaurants and a dozen hotels? Well, casinos, uh, I understand. The house always wins. <laughs> no, they don't, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some very stressful nights when somebody's beat me out of a million dollars. It's 
it's just different, and and it's a di- it's different decisions that you get to make. It's it's uh, it's sports. I mean, and and that's why you're in business is sport and your competitiveness, and and you continue to want to do deals. And and uh, you know, it's amazing how complicated you know running a professional sports team is today, uh, with collective bargaining and 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 with the decisions and luxury tax and and revenue share and you know everything else just in the NBA besides the issues and and MLB and NFL. So, I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. And, you know, X's and O's is only one thing. It, it's a, it's amazing how much I thought I knew about basketball. And I realized how much I didn't know, you know, in the last 45 days. But, but uh, you know, the business side is a big part of it. And, and the business side is really sport for me. All right, let me talk about that then. You paid 35 times EBITDA, and you seem to say that doesn't matter. Don't look at the numbers. Explain to a business novice why 35 times EBITDA, which you wouldn't see in sort of a regular transaction, why that doesn't matter. Well, and I, I'm a guy that focuses everything on EBITDA, and, and everything I've ever bought, I, I make the numbers work EBITDA-wise. Because there's never been an NFL team that is, or an ML, NBA team, or an MLB team that sold for less than it was paid for. And you can just basically book it that in the next eight to 10 years, this asset is going to be worth $3 billion. And, and that's just the way it is. You know, it's hard to believe that the New York Yankees sold in 1970 for $10 million. It's hard to believe that just 20 something years ago that the Dallas Cowboys sold for $140 million. Uh, when I bought in with Charlie Thomas in, in 1984, it was $20 million. And then he sold it 10 years later for $80 million. Now, am I going to get that kind of run up? Probably not. But basically, all I did was take $2 billion out of equity out of one company where I had $4 billion in equity and moved it into another business. And so, and, and I feel like owning an NBA team is a generational asset, and it's only going to go up in value. So what it makes on a year-to-year basis really isn't important. Is it going to be worth three billion dollars in ten years? And you have to remember, there's only you can only put two hundred and fifty million dollars in debt on an NBA team. So there's a lot of equity in an NBA team. It's funny though, the the widespread thinking right now. You see ESPN sub fees are going down. It's the world is sinking. The media rights fees are going to go down. This is terrible for pro sports. But you're telling me you're banking on a guarantee this thing is going to continue to go up. Do you see anything that could prevent franchise valuations from going up? I, I really don't. You know, they talk about TV contracts not being the same, but 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 you also you also have to remember that that uh, even if the television contracts come down, you have streaming now, and is it could it be on Google or could it be on Twitter or could it be on Amazon or just. Everything is different today. The world is changing, and what the NBA has is content. And you have content for each team for 82 games, just like for the NFL, 62 games, and Major League Baseball, 162 games. And, you know, what made me comfortable about the NBA is is that when you look at it, behind soccer, it's a world sport. There is expansion opportunities that, that uh, you really wouldn't have in American football or even Major League Baseball. And the average viewer of, of Major League Baseball you're 60 years, is 60 years old today. You know, millennials, I'll, I'm in the service and hospitality business, okay? And we're dealing with the, with the 
with a generation today that is different. And, and, and they're very active, and they always want to be doing something. And everything they do, they want it to be entertainment, okay? And, and I've had to change the way I operate my businesses. And I kind of like the way they think. But they don't want to sit there and watch a baseball game for three hours. And people love the energy of basketball. And I think as you look into the future, into the next 10 years, 20 years, it's going to be the sport that grows more so than any other sport. Nobody makes a purchase like this without looking at the synergistic possibilities. You have the restaurants, you have the casinos. How do you plan to make it all work together in a global marketplace? Well, I mean, that's something that we totally looked at. I mean, you know, Landry's Restaurant Empire has, you know, three million uh, members of their loyalty club and the casinos have four million and the Rockets have a million. And, And you definitely want to find a way to take those customers and make them all your customers. Uh, in the in the Houston area, which is the fourth largest area in the United States, uh, I dominate the entertainment with you know with aquariums and amusement parks and boardwalks and 75 restaurants and a casino. The closest casino to Houston is the Golden Nugget Lake Charles, which is one of the nicest casinos in America. So, you know, the entertainment dollar now, along with the Houston Rockets, there's definitely synergies, and we want to build all those customers uh, with each other. You said you're in the entertainment industry, and you are right. And with the NBA team now under your belt, which is another piece of entertainment, what would you bring differently to this team as a perspective, as a casino owner, that maybe hasn't been tried before among other NBA owners? Well, I don't know of anything today, but I can tell you this. uh, You know, national sports betting is going to happen. And even the NFL, as everyone knows, has softened their stance. And uh, I do have the number one gaming, uh, internet gaming company in the United States right now in New Jersey. And, and it's something we understand. And, and I think internet sports gaming is going to happen as, as well. You're going to start opening it up in multiple sports uh, in multiple states again. So I think it's something that we understand better than everybody else. And uh, it'll be interesting uh, to, to see what happens if it's approved. Well, Tillman, not long ago, while the process was still going on, I wrote a story that said Beyonce was interested in investing in the Rockets, one of the most read stories, as you might imagine. What are your plans for syndication? Do you want to sell 49% of the franchise or pieces, slice it up, popular thing to do, take on limited partners, or were you going to hold, uh, hold 100%? I have no desire to, to, to sell any of the basketball team. Uh, I own 100% of my other company, and uh, it's part of that company, and I prefer to, uh, you know, own 100%. If uh, somebody as special as a Beyonce or somebody like that wanted to come in for a tiny percentage because they wanted to be an ambassador from the team because this is their hometown, would I sit down and discuss it with them? Yeah, I would sit down and discuss it with them. I mean, it's a compliment to have somebody like Beyonce to want to be, you know, a part of your team. You know, one of the reasons I didn't go after, you know, limited partners is, is number one, when teams were selling for four, five, six hundred million dollars, seven hundred million dollars, a guy that would come in and, 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 and put in thirty five million dollars or ten million dollars or five million dollars was worth a lot. OK, and it helped you get the deal done. But today, when you start talking about a, a two billion dollar purchase, you know, to be a limited partner and own five percent 
you got to write out a check for $100 million. So you can't just look at percentages anymore. People that write out a check for $100 million, they want a seat at the table, and uh, regardless that they only own 5%. And, and to go out and find you know limited partners to write out checks for $20 million for 1%, I just don't think it's going to be as easy to do these deals with limited partners. And when I started, you know, seeing talk about different people, oh, this guy is going to put a group together and this person is going to put a group together. When you start talking about $2 billion, somebody's got to come with a billion five. And then if you can go syndicate out 500 million, you still got to find a bunch of people to write out some $50 million checks and some 25 and some hundreds. So it's just not that easy anymore. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a shame, but, you know, I never thought I was going to be able to fulfill my dream as I started seeing these franchises go up. And, you know, I was fortunate to find a way to pay more than anybody's ever paid. But but uh, I, I think instead of it being a game of billionaires now, it's it's uh, you've got to be a, a multi, multi-billionaire to own one of these sports franchises. Today. Yeah, absolutely. Am I right or wrong in saying that's the biggest pressure on franchise valuation that the available pool of people who are capable of cutting these checks is shrinking. You know, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of uh, these younger people that have made billions and billions of dollars in technology. And, and when we were sitting there and wondering who was going to be our competitor, you know, you know, some of my people that work closely with me would say, well, gosh, what about if this person from Texas comes in or this person from Texas comes in? And, 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 I, and, and I would always say, I said, what you don't understand is they have absolutely no desire to own a sports franchise because if they did, they would already own one. And, and uh, you know, it's, when you start talking about guys like Steve Ballmer, if they want to own a team, they'll come in and own it. But, but, but you have a lot of other of these technology guys that are worth $10 billion and up that just don't have any desire. They want to change the world in other ways. But uh, so so I think some of those people you can just kind of take out of the equation that just have no interest. I mean, you're a huge sports fan. That's because you do what you do. That's I'm a huge sports fan. And, but there's a lot of people out there that have no desire to go spend two billion dollars on a franchise. I mean, before I did this, I sat around with my family and my four kids, and we and I said. Is there any place y- y'all could think that you'd rather go spend $2 billion? And, and uh, I, you want to go buy another huge casino? You want to go buy a hotel company? They grew up with all of that, and there wasn't even a, a mention of anything else. And I would ask you guys, I mean, if, if, if what would you go do with $2 billion? You would probably, what would you rather have? What would be more fun? What is never going to lose its value? You can go buy a huge real estate project, and 90% of the time they always you know, go up in value, but every now and then they don't. So uh, you know, it's, it, I, I think it was a safe bet, and, and uh, you know, I feel good about it. You got me dreaming now about $2.2 billion if I had it. <laughs> he would buy five Lazy Boys, five televisions, and move his butt every now and then. <laughs> We're talking with the new Houston Rockets owner, Tillman Fertitta. And I guess it brings up this question about passion. Yes, former players have passion. Like, they, they have the passion for the game. 
but are they good owners? I mean, uh, as, as you've heard earlier, I mean, uh, you know, in baseball, we, we've been through this. Derek Jeter, he's now part of a group. He now owns the part of the Marlins. He has the passion. It, does that translate being a good owner? Every situation is different, and everybody is a different individual. But you, you're making a big adjustment from, from management, you know, to, 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 to from player. And when I say management, that's ownership. And, and all of a sudden, you were on one side of the collective bargaining agreement, and now you're on the other side of it. And, and so I think it's a big adjustment. It is a business, and even though you get close to your players and you want to be close to your players, it's a business. And, and uh, sometimes a lot of these guys, because they've been athletes, have, have not had the experience of being a business person. And I can tell you this, I don't care how smart, you know, one of these, you know, young studs are out there. History is a lot. And my experience in business and history is one of the reasons that I was able to acquire this team because I knew how to do it. And when everybody else was talking about it, I went out and did it. And that's why this team not only sold for the most, but also was the quickest close ever in the NBA. This team went on the market on January the 17th and the deal was done the first week in October. Okay. At the highest price. I don't know if some of these athletes, they will develop the experience, but uh, you know, once again, I think a lot of these guys and a lot of these players thought that they could end up with the sports team and Michael Jordan was able to end up with control of one. But I think that's when the Charlotte uh, team was worth five, $600 million. But what's happened now is with these teams being worth now in the billion five plus range, it's going to be harder and harder for these guys to assume control of one of these teams. They're going to have to make a bunch of money for a bunch of years. But only time will tell uh, if they make good owners or not. Tell me about your business interests and data analytics because you are taking over a franchise. Daryl Morey, a friend of mine, is your is your GM, and he doesn't do anything without looking at the analytics. Are you a huge believer in analytics? You know what's really interesting is the analysis department of Landry's, and Landry's is the uh, is almost a $4 billion revenue company, the analyst's office on my floor. And I think one of the things that has made us successful is that we are so strong at analysis and, and what, what exactly a cost should be and where our revenue is coming from. And so it's kind of funny that I bought a team that depends on analysis more so than probably any other team in the NBA. So, uh, Daryl and I have a great relationship. I've known Daryl for years, uh, but I've got to know him a lot more in the last 30 days, and, and uh, we're excited to be working together. The new owner of the Houston Rockets, Tillman Fertitta, thank you so much, sir, for talking. Thanks, gentlemen. Look forward to seeing you guys in New York sometime. Takeaways from this, I love the line that he said, listen, back in the day you could come with maybe several million dollars, but now someone's got to come with $1.5 billion at least if you want to buy a sports franchise. Yeah, I love the fact that he said, everything I do, I look at EBITDA. It's all about <laughs> earnings. I make the numbers work, he said. And the guarantee. I was really surprised by this, Michael. The guarantee. Nothing is going to have the value of these franchises going down. He said five to ten years this thing will be worth $3 billion. 
Mark Cuban said he got a deal. Obviously, Fertitta thinks he's right. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. You've got the number. Yeah, we're going big this time. Ready? Ready, Michael? You tell me. 786,988. Now, that's dollars, but that's a pretty big number. Oh, I thought you were going to say the number of pieces of lint, but that's another story. But anyway, yeah, what what is this? This is the amount it cost the Golden State Warriors to have a championship parade after the title. Now, what makes this interesting is that the city's initial estimate was 300000 So the Warriors have agreed to pay more than three quarters of a million dollars for the celebration. A celebration, by the way, that most cities usually pick up even though it's more than double the estimate the city gave them. They're happy about it, but they're doing it. But why didn't the city pick it up? Sometimes the cities are strapped. They'll go to teams, say, can you kick in? But when you're told 300000 and this is about cleanup, police, you generally have an idea of what it's going to cost to come in at more than double that estimate. That's why I think the, uh, the Warriors went public with their displeasure with the number, which is a biggie. But they did say we will cover it. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. And please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and the brightest in the world of sports business. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. <laughs>